It's great to be here. I also wanted to say uh, thank you to Pastor Jip and his wife for allowing me to speak today. I know that that he is probably a much better speaker than I am. He certainly is a lot funnier than I am. I'm not just talking about looking. He's also got a good sense of humor. You know, I'm always um, amazed by contrast and tension. Uh, Yesterday I talked about uh, cost and reward. And life is full of these things that um, have an extreme to them, you know, opposite ends. And one of the things I want to talk about today that I think that um, challenges us in our Christian journey is the tension between faith and works. Our part and God's part. There's always that kind of, uh, you know, place where we find ourselves trying to figure out, well, Lord, what's your part, what's my part? Kind of like in marriage, you know. What's her part and what's my part? And uh, usually your wife will tell you what your part is. But God doesn't speak as clearly sometimes. So, So if you have your Bible, go with me to that passage where James talks about uh, faith and works. James chapter 2, where James, who's a very practical man, a very, um, I think, straightforward kind of person, as he shares with us in James chapter 2, verse, well, let's go to, let me see here, um, talking about faith and works. James deals with that in James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food... And if one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. Likewise was Rahab the harlot also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So let me have your attention. The obvious central message of this passage is faith. Faith. 
James is talking about a faith that truly changes your life. That calls for, for action, that calls for transformation. It's a faith you can know. It's a faith you can see. It's a faith that has evidence. Now, in Ephesians, go, go there with me just quickly, Ephesians chapter 2. Just so there's no mistake about this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there's this tension. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And yet James would say, without works there is no faith. And I want to emphasize that we are saved by God's grace. It's not earned, it's not deserved. We receive it, however, by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. That's how we respond to grace. We respond to grace by faith. And in James, back to our text, chapter 2, in James chapter 2, we, we listen to uh, James tell us, there in verse 14, as he's trying to, I think, describe for us what true faith is, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart, be warm, be filled, and don't give them anything, well, what does it profit? He uses this word, profit. What's the value of it? That, that's the word there. Certainly not talking about, you know, profit like Jeremiah or Isaiah. The word is, is a marketplace word. It's, it's like if you own a retail business. Maybe you sell bottled water. And at the end of the day, they say, hey, what were your profits? Oh, we sold a thousand pounds of bottled water. So, so you, 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 you tell what the benefit, what the, what the profit was that day of your business. And James is saying, well, what's the visible results? What, what's the profit of your faith? Well, what have you gained from, what does it look like? How has it impacted others? What, what's, it, what's it doing? Take a sip while I'm holding that. Faith, James says, has visible results. Jesus speaks in the New Testament of a church in Revelation 3 that has this huge problem. And, and the biggest problem was that they had was this. They didn't think they had a problem. That's the biggest problem you can have. When you don't think you have a problem and you really have a problem. And Jesus speaks of a church in Revelation 3. Listen to what he says. I'll just read it for you from verse 17. He says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and you do not know that you're wretched, that you're miserable, that you're poor, that you're blind, and that you're naked. You you think one thing, but really, Jesus says, it's another thing 
And I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you might be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Here's what Jesus says. You see things one way when really they're another. And I counsel you to, to buy. I mean, how, how more desperate can it get than you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked? Does it get any worse than that? And Jesus says, I have the answer. And he says, I have what you need. He says, you need to buy from me gold for your poverty, white garments for your nakedness, and eye salve for your blindness. Now, now what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying that he's got a little uh, retail business outside? Is he setting up shop out there? Has he got gold hanging there? Does he have white garments for sale? Does he, if he has a little bit of eye cream over in the corner? and he's trying, What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I have what you need and you can receive it from me. Well, how do I get it from you? How do I buy it from you? Well, I submit to you, and listen, that the, the, the currency that Jesus looks for is this thing called faith. We're going to talk about this. Faith and works, this tension, receiving from him my part, his part, recognizing who I really am, that I do have issues and needs, and he's the one that supplies what I need. But how do I get there? What's my part? This thing called faith. Trusting. Believing. Responding with expectation. Back to the book of James. James talks about faith a lot in his epistle. He deals with it. He's working through it because there's a lot of people who have different understandings of it. And they think, well, I just believe. I, just, I have this understanding of faith. But James wants us to know what it really is. And so go back to James chapter 1. Where he first starts talking about it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Do you lack wisdom? Ask of God. He'll give it without reproach and liberally. It'll be given. But let him ask, what does he say? In faith. Not doubting, for who doubts is like a wave of sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let no man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded and unstable in all his ways. We receive from the Lord by faith. And then in chapter 2, James begins to take a closer look at this thing called faith. He begins to reveal what real faith is versus an imaginary faith, a, a counterfeit faith, a, a lifeless faith. It, there is a thing called counterfeit faith. It can be imaginary. It, it, it's... It's kind of like imaginary wealth. Uh, do you guys have, um, over here in uh, Scotland, do you have um, the lottery? So you know what imaginary wealth is. 
We have a lot of people who, you know, play the lottery in America. And I have a, a, a God bless her, an older sister who always plays the lottery. Now, I can say, uh, truthfully and honestly, I've never, ever bought a lottery ticket. Ever. But my sister has bought a lot of lottery tickets. She's not a believer, but I'll bump into her here. She lives in the same town, and her name is Deborah. And I'll say, Deborah, how are you doing? Oh, I just bought some lottery tickets. And she always is saying this, when I win the lottery... And she talks about the house she's going to live in, the cars. And, and John, I'm going to give 10% to the church. And I, I'm sure you are, yes. And she's, all the trips she's going to go on, how she's going to take care of everybody. And she kind of lives this, this imaginary life of when she's going to win the lottery. And that's all she ever talks about. She really believes she's going to win it. But James says, real faith... Saving faith, faith that is of profit and faith that is of value, is a faith that really is real. It works. You can see it. it it's, it's dead if it doesn't have works, he says. It, it, it's lifeless. And he says here in chapter 2, verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is naked destitute of daily food and one of you says to them hey just go in peace and be warmed and filled but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body what does it profit what what value is it what benefit is it what impact of it i mean if, if you're here today and you're and you're hungry and i begin talking about um you know a steak pie the nice little brown crust over it Piping hot, you can kind of see the steam coming out. You know, and you're, you're just starving and you would just love to, you know, bite into that steak pie. And afterwards, I tell you, we're going to have some sticky toffee pudding. And, and you know, you're, you're just, man. And, 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 and you might get, be getting hungry right now. And you're thinking, finish up. <laughs> and, and, and I say... You know, begin to talk about all the different ways you can eat it and how good it's going to be. Does that satisfy your hunger? No. It doesn't satisfy... You know, talking about it doesn't do anything. Jesus, James is saying, hey, telling a person, be warmed and filled, doesn't get it. Neither does this. Listen. Neither does just saying, I believe in Jesus. He's Lord. He's Savior. True faith goes beyond just talking about it. But you see evidence. You see impact. It's more than just intellectual agreement. Oh, I agree with the Bible. It's, it's, it's salvation is, is, is more than just believe. You know, I believe, in, um, I believe in the Beatles. I grew up in the 60s. I listened to all their music. I still have some of their music. But I'm not trusting them for anything. I believe in them. I believe in George Washington. I wish his dollar worth worth more than it is. But I'm not trusting him for anything. James says here in verse 17, he says, Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. It's lifeless. And he knows someone will want to defend this, this faith. And he says, someone will say to me, well, I, I have works. Show me your faith. 
without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James says in response that you can't have one without the other. They must be joined together. Here's what he's saying. Works will not save you. And faith that has no works, however, he says, is imaginary. It's counterfeit. It must be real. They go together. Like a, you've heard the story of the, the, the man who bought the old broken down, beaten down, overgrown farm and he spent his life working on it and it turned it into the, the town show place. An old guy come walking by one day and he was standing by the fence and he called him over and he said, I just want to say it's a miracle what God's done with this farm. And, and he said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. Now James is not introducing a new doctrine, a new truth, or a contrary philosophy. He's not a philosopher. He, he, he's not the poet trying to pull at your heartstrings. He, he's, he's taking the scripture, the truth about salvation and faith, and here's what James wants to do. He wants to make it something that's simple. That you and I can understand. He wants to make it as practical as possible. And he's saying if you really have faith in Christ, you'll see it. It'll be of value. It'll be of benefit. In, in actual works and action. And, and, and if, if you talk about food, he says, you're still hungry. Actually, have food and eat it, you're satisfied. Big difference between the two. And that's what James is saying. He says it's that simple. John the Baptist said the same thing. You know the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Great crowds were coming to him out by the Jordan River and he was speaking about the kingdom of God and said, if you're serious, if you really want to follow the Messiah, if you want to welcome His coming, what did he say? He said, you step forward. Be baptized. Repent of your sins. And, and one day some, some Pharisees came out there to see what John was doing. They were upset about him out there preaching about this Messiah. So they, they came out to check John out. And I'll pick up the story for you in the book of Matthew. Uh, chapter 3, I'll just read for you. You don't have to turn there. John's out there and he's preaching and these Pharisees show up. And it says, all Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan. They're confessing their sins. And he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. And here's what he said. You snakes, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And this is what he said, listen. Bear some fruit worthy of repentance. And do not think you can say to yourself, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now, he said, the axe is, is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. What was John saying? He said, hey, here you are. You say you believe in Abraham, that you, you know, you're, you're, a, you're one of those who have the faith of Abraham. But I say to you, 
show me some fruits. You're snakes. You're vipers. You not really have real faith. You just have a faith that you say you have. So John the Baptist, uh, he had the same philosophy, the same understanding, the, the, the same type of, of thought about, about faith and what it was. And Paul said the same thing. I'll read to you from uh, Titus, because this is not something that's just, just you know, regulated to, to James in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. He says, they profess to know God. But in their works, they deny Him. They're disobedient and disqualified for every good work. You say, but John, wait a minute. Remember that passage you read back in Ephesians chapter 2? Remember what it says that by, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, well, listen to that passage again. Let, let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to what it said. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It's a gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. You say, there it is. See, it's settled. Well, wait. He goes on. He says, for we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hey, there in Ephesians, right in the context of where it says, by, by grace are you saved through faith. He goes on to say, and the reason that that faith and that grace brings you to salvation is that God has prepared for you good works that you should walk in them. He saved you and designed you and prepared you to walk in works once you came in faith to Him. God poured out His grace and accomplished in you a salvation so that it might be demonstrated at good works. Paul tells us that. In 1 John, as we continue to look at this, this whole thing of faith and, and works in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, he says, He who says, I know him, he who says, I have faith or I know him, I believe, and does not keep his commandments, well, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. If you say you know him, and you're not really living for Him. See, this is the theology. I want you to hear this. It's the theology of James. It's the theology of John the Baptist. It's the theology of Paul. It's the theology of John. It's also the theology of Jesus Himself. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus talks about this very thing. This is not something that's regulated to, to James. Many people say, oh, James, you know, he, he's just all about works. And no, they're, they're all speak this same thing. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking it. And ver starting with verse 17, Jesus says it this way. He says, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Verse 19 of Matthew 7, Every, every tree that does not bear good fruits cut down and thrown in the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, 
you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But what does it say? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on to tell this very interesting story. In verse 17, I mean in verse 24, he says, Therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house and it fell and great was its fall. See, there's this tension. There's this contrast between cost and rewards between God's part and my part between faith and works now there's no misunderstanding or doubt in my mind that we have salvation by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ that that saves us that it's real that we're born again but it's not just words it's just not intellectual understanding it's got to be a faith that that changes my life that transforms my actions if my faith doesn't change my life here on earth do you really think it'll have an impact on my eternal destiny if it doesn't change anything in this temporal world that I do or how I lived will it really have any impact on how I live forever a dead faith does not produce real life. True faith is, is trusting in what Jesus has done on the cross. Yeah, He took my place. He, he died for my sins. And, and by faith, I, I trust in that. I, I, I completely trust in that. No one else could do it other than Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which I could be saved but His. He is the Son of God, God's unique and only Son, that, that God so loved the world that He gave Him, and whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And He came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He's the only way. And if I have a real faith in Him, and I turn from my old life and begin to follow Him. You know that passage in Corinthians that said, you know, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And then my life begins to take on a whole new understanding. Not just here, not just here, but even through these hands. It's like the story, you know it, of the woman who was called in the very act of adultery there in Jerusalem. And they bring her before Jesus and they throw, him, throw her down at his feet. And there's Jesus, once again being tested about love and about faith and about truth, will trap him in his own compassion. We'll see what he does now with love versus law. 
We'll see what he now does with, with, with works versus faith. We've caught this woman in the very act of adultery and the law says she should be stoned. Now what do you say? You guys know the story. Jesus writes in the sand for a while. He looks up. He finally stands and says, Well, uh, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. And they just begin to drop the, from, the oldest, from the youngest to the oldest, I think. They, they, they all go away and it's just Jesus and the woman left together. And Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? He says, I have none. And he says, neither do I condemn thee. And then he adds this, but if you truly want to be free, and you truly want me in your life, if you truly want to receive what I have to give, then go. And live this lifestyle no more. He doesn't just say, oh, okay, you're free, go ahead, do whatever you want to do, continue living this way. That there was a call on her life, there's a call on my life, there's a call on your life. To not only just trust in what he has to say, to receive from him his forgiveness, but to go and be a different person. That there are things in my life that, that still to this day and yours that he says, that must be taken out. It's not accepted by me. It's not okay with me. It's not approved by me. Faith has works that demonstrate in a transformed life. Jesus says to her, if you want an encounter with me, if you want a relationship with me, then you cannot continue in this sexual sin anymore. Go and have a new lifestyle. In that book of Revelation about that church that thought they had, that they were rich, that they were, you know, clothed, that they had no need whatsoever, Jesus told them, no, you're lukewarm. You know, I, I, I talked about a little bit about lukewarm yesterday, but, you know, lukewarm's an interesting, um, it's another one of those tension things. It's not hot, it's not cold, it's somewhere in the middle. I, I, I have a Starbucks right near where I live, and unfortunately, I go by there quite often. My wife's always looking at my uh, bank statement. You went by Starbucks again? Well, I had to meet somebody. No, you didn't. But, but I always order the same thing. It's a certain kind of latte, and I go in there, and I like to listen to the, all the different things that people order in coffee shops. It's amazing, isn't it? All the different formulas. Have a chai tea, uh, extra hot, you know, uh, skim milk, uh, you know. And it's just all, all these different formulas. It's mind-blowing to me. I don't know all. I just know one thing. I'll have a tall latte. That's all I know. I don't know all the formulas. Some people have these, all these formulas. But when they come in there, I always hear them say they either want something hot or they want something cold. I've never heard anyone come up to the counter at Starbucks and say, oh, yeah, I'd like that lukewarm. <laughs> they don't do that. Why? Because lukewarm's not so good. Nobody ever says, yeah, give me a, a cafe latte. Oh, could you make that lukewarm? It's just not happening. It's cold or, or it's hot. What do you have to do to be lukewarm? Nothing. You just sit there. That's what makes something lukewarm. What did Jesus say to the church? 
I'd rather you be cold. I'd rather I'd rather be one or the other. You know, it takes a little effort to be one or the other. He says, rather, and he goes on to say, and to that church in Revelation chapter three, here's what he says to them. He says, I want you to do something. He says. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous. And here's what he says, repent. <laughs> Do something with your faith. Respond to what I'm saying. You know, turn away from those things that, that are lukewarm. Uh, having a dead faith of doing nothing is lukewarm. A- as it relates to, to you and to me, Jesus says you need to be doing those good works I saved you to do. By grace are you saved. Through faith. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. But you have been created by God. You're His workmanship to do good works. Go go back with me to our text in James chapter 2. And look how James begins to illustrate what faith with works really looks like. James chapter 2. In verse 19, he says, You believe there's one God? Well, great. Even the demons believe and tremble. He said, not just believing or acknowledging or saying, Yeah, there's a God up there. He says, well, the devil knows that. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then he says, let's talk about it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? Why was Abraham justified? Did he just say when God said, Abraham, take your only son, your your son of promise, take him up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Did, Did Abraham just say, God, I believe that's what you want me to do. And I understand that I've maybe had a little more, too much emphasis on Isaac. And, you know, he's become my life. And, okay, Lord, I just give him back to you. No. What did he do? He got the donkey. He got the wood. He got the servants. He literally went up to the mountain. He really was going to sacrifice him. And because there was works attached to his faith, God said, hold on now. I see that you really do love me. I see that your faith really is real. You really were going to to sacrifice your own son for me. You really now have put me first in your life. You've demonstrated that with your actions. And so James is saying, hey, there's one thing just to say, oh, I believe in God. He says, the devil believes. Let's see it demonstrated in your life. He, he He goes on and he begins to tell this story in verse 25. He says, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by words? When she received the messengers and sent them out another way. You know that story. As the spies came in. As they were checking out the land. As, as those enemies of Israel and who had heard all about them and were fearful of them. Were trying to find these spies. What did Rahab do? She realized. The God of these Jews, these Israelites have come here now. And I have to choose. Am I going to continue to serve the pagan gods? Continue, Or am I going to identify with these people and trust this God? And so by her actions, she identified with the people of God. She hid the spies 
there in Jericho. And by so she's saying, God, I identify with you. I want to join with you. She identified herself as a follower of God and with his people. Lord, I put you first. I identify with you. So James begins to to tie together for us this, not just his theology, but this theology that we see from from Paul, from John the Baptist, from from James, from, from John, from Jesus, that there is something about faith that's tied to works, that demands transformation, that demands actions, that demands an outward identification with the Lord. And the question that comes from the scripture is this. Do I, do you, have a real faith? Is there any evidence? What are the works that you're doing? And even this question, are there things in your life that you need to leave behind, to let go of? There are certain things that are not acceptable in his eyes. Can a good tree bear bad fruit? Maybe you're a prodigal, one who's drifted, lukewarm. He looks, he stands waiting for the prodigal to come back. See, here's the thing. God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has good works that he's prepared for you and I to walk in. And the question that comes to us through his word over and over again is, is my faith real? And if it is, it demonstrates itself in works. I just don't talk about a meat pie. I eat it. I don't just talk about sticky toffee pudding. I got it all over my lips. It's a real faith. And it has impact on me, and it has impact on my children, and my family, and God puts me in situations where he says, okay, I've done my part, I've put you next door to five pagans. Now you do your part, and you'll see that I'm with you. Because he calls us to have faith, and to have works. And when we do our part, God always, always does his part. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help me, would you help us to have faith that's real? A faith that demonstrates itself in works. Here in this community, in our neighborhoods, around our families. Lord, in our church and through our church. Lord, help us not to just say we believe, but it might be clearly seen by one another and others that you're working and that you've given us good works to do. And Lord, may it be said of this church here, hey, they don't only, don't only just sing about their faith. They don't only just pray about their faith. They don't only just talk about their faith. But they demonstrate it. We see it. We know it's real. And because of that, many will come to put their faith in you. Lord, thank you for grace that draws us. Thank you for the faith that you give us. 
and for the works that you prepared for us that we might walk in. We're so grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.